0: Hello everyone, welcome to Great Hearts Table. When the daughter of an engineer runs away from home or the son of a school teacher gets his girlfriend pregnant, no one at the parents' places of employment gives the situation more than maybe a nod of sympathy. Pastors though may live in fear that such things will cost them their jobs. In this episode we discuss the terrible burden this places on pastors and as well on pastors' children. Before we do, I remind you that there are more things going on with Great Heart's Table than can easily fit into a podcast, so please head over to our Patreon or Substack pages and check out one of our recent Third Monday posts. We have live events happening and a retreat in the works. Good stuff, I think. Links are in the show notes, and thanks for joining us around Great Heart's Table. All my favorite people are broken Leave me. Know. In the musical Hamilton, Aaron Burr sings, My grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. That's the only allusion to the fact that the grandfather of the man who murdered Alexander Hamilton was Jonathan Edwards. Did something go wrong in the Edwards family that Burr's apple rolled so far from the tree? It happens, we know. When Burr goes on to sing, but there are things that the homilies and hymns won't teach you, pastors painfully know that it's true. How our children roll, so to speak, is a question that many pastors consider with silent unease. Concerning a New England pastor a generation before Edward, Stacy Schiff writes, Reports flew about that something was grievously wrong in the household of Samuel Paris, the Salem village minister. Our children may not be inviting the charge of witchcraft, but we know that we and they are being watched. And often because of that, we watch them all the more closely and with heightened anxiety when they don't fit the expected model for some of us. Our jobs depend on it. When the Apostle Paul gave directions to his pastoral protégés Timothy and Titus, he insisted that an elder, a pastor of the church, be one who keeps children submissive. The children, he says, are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. This isn't much of a problem when our only concern is that our toddler refuses to eat her peas. But when at 15 she refuses to go to church, or at 25 declares herself a Buddhist, the pastor's conscience can grow uneasy. Something is grievously wrong in the household of the village minister, who then wonders if that wrong disqualifies him or her from ministry itself. It's a question often felt, sometimes spoken, rarely answered. It can be a dark place to live. There are, however, a few lights by which one can find a way forward. First, the issue of pastoral qualifications can't be rooted solely in the behavior or expressed convictions of children. Children are independent human persons. They are not, as the books sometimes imply, machines capable of programming. Some children have disabilities That have social or behavioral implications. Others have hearts resistant to their parents' hymns and homilies. Salvation is not mechanistic. A plus B equals C works in algebra, but not in matters of the spirit. Our qualification to minister can't, therefore, be linked to our children's increasingly independent choices. In commenting on Titus 1, George Knight makes a convincing case that the word often translated believers is better understood as meaning nothing more than faithful. Even so, faithfulness must be judged with great charity. The biblical expectation that elders manage their households well is not always easily assessed by observing the child. Some children may be externally compliant out of deadly fear of a tyrannical parent Others may walk away from the faith their parents taught them with love and grace. Children can give a clue to parental behavior, but not a conclusive one. The danger is the pastors, haunted by these criteria, will put undue pressure on their children to be perfect models of Christian virtue. When we do that, when we treat them as badges to be worn and not people to be cared for, we're not loving them. We're using them. It's far too easy for pastors to make decisions based not on what is best for their kids, but on what looks good for the pastor. When I was 12, my parents gave me the freedom to stay home from church if I didn't want to go. Now, what was a wise move for them may or may not be for you, but do you have the courage to take such a step if it's best for your child, or does your fear of what others might think preclude it? Reports will fly about when something is judged grievously wrong in the household of the village minister. If we're not careful, we'll do detrimental things to our children to keep such reports at bay. I learned this lesson far too late in my life as a parent. We must parent for the sake of our kids, not in order to keep our jobs. So yes, pastors, evaluate your home life. Subject it to the overview of others. If something is grievously wrong in the household of the village minister, address it. Step away from ministry if necessary. If repentance is in order, humbly do the things that evidence repentance. If apologies are needed, offer them profusely. But then put your conscience to rest. Receive the grace you preach. There's no situation where the forgiveness of God or the cross's power is limited by your sin. You may be the prodigal parent, but your father always welcomes you home with a party. Great Hearts Table is published on the first, second, and fourth Mondays of each month in both audio and print format thanks to Over the Rhine for permission to use their wonderful songs All My Favorite People and Called Home, and thanks to you for listening. I am Randy Greenwald, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oviedo, Florida. Just shy of breaking down, there's a bend in the road that I have found called home. to find forgiveness